Hello, it's Paul Scott here, small caps investor and commentator and writer of the Small Cap Value Reports on Stockopedia.com with Graham Neary and Roland Head, who helped out this week as I took three days off to go to Mellow. So thanks so much, Roland. And it was quite interesting for me actually being a, uh, a reader rather than a writer. Oh, forgot the date. It's Saturday 2nd of December 2023. We had a few complaints last week because the, I, was, I was late in putting out the podcast. So I thought I'd better get out on time on Saturday. So um, yes, thanks. Thanks, Roland. It was great. And I have to say the, the summaries at the top of the Small Cat Valley reports with the traffic lights are so good because you can, one of, the, one of my friends, Ian, he mentioned this to me at Mellow. He said he can just quickly look at the summaries, immediately home in on the green companies and just have a quick look at those. So it's a very um, good format, I think, that we'll definitely stick with. Um, great to see everybody at Mellow. It's a few hundred investors. who It's so friendly. Everyone talks to everyone because we've all got a common interest in investing. Great to see so many friendly faces. And thank you to everyone for the lovely feedback I got about the uh, small cap, my stockopedia work, the small cap value reports and the podcasts, which seem very popular. So um, as long as people like them, I'll keep doing them. And remember, no adverts in my podcasts, because I don't want to insult your intelligence by exploiting you for a penny or whatever it is, if that, for making you listen to some some plug for some dreadful uh, um product so yeah and also we bid a sad farewell to charlie munger the investing legend who obviously uh had that amazing long-running business business partnership with warren buffett so rest in peace uh charlie munger funnily enough i'm listening to one of the i'm sure very many uh audiobooks about charlie munger it's called the Tao of charlie munger spelt t-a-o why they've linked it to Chinese uh, philosophy, I do not know. But anyway, that's the name of the book. And it's really, really good. It's a sort of biography of Charlie Munger, um, um, interspersed with obviously all his words of wisdom and some very surprising um, early stuff he did, which was quite um, quite high risk, actually. Special, situa- special situation investing that he did early in his career when he just went all in on, a, on, an, on particular anomalies that he found. Much sort of higher risk tolerance than I would have imagined. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to do more reading on Charlie Munger. Also, a, a, a sad mention for Alistair Darling, the former chancellor who was in the eye of the storm in the 2008 financial crisis. I was very sorry to hear that he died only age 70. He was definitely a good man, uh, putting politics to one side. You know, his book, Back from the Brink, is a central reading, I think, where he wrote uh, uh, his memoirs about what happened during the financial crisis. And it's a riveting read. And, you know, we really did come about two hours away from a total meltdown of the um, entire banking system. And he he saved the day. So uh, good man, I think. Anyway, markets overall, UK uh, still looks weak. Uh, especially AIM, you know, same thing I say every week, don't I? It's not really, I've just had a look at all the main indices in the UK and it's not really clear clear what the trend actually is. I mean, AIM is still spluttering away down nearly half from the 2021 highs. Mid caps are still struggling. If you The further you zoom out on the charts, the more you see that they're deep in a malaise. It's not really clear what the overall trend is. I mean, FTSE 100's been actually going sideways to slightly up over the last three or four years, been a safe haven. Um, But I don't really care about the markets overall because I'm not buying the markets. I'm not an index trader. I'm a stock picker. And, you know, it's when confidence is on the floor and everyone's despondent. That's when you get your bargains. So my view remains resolutely upbeat because I don't, you know, I'm not bothered about the market. I'm finding bargains galore on a weekly basis with financial finding lots of interesting stocks and there are loads of takeover bids happening which just reinforces and confirms that the market's too cheap so this is the time when you sow the seeds to make big bucks in the future and I think it's so important to remain focused on that so it's the same message every week from me we're not short-term traders on Stockopedia anyway we're you know value stroke GARP investors mostly Um, but you know people can use whatever strategy they want or a mix of strategies entirely up to you your money up to you what you do. It's like a few people took me to task for concentrating my money into Plexus Holdings, POS. Um, yes, have a good laugh about the ticker. <laughs> Everyone does. Um, but, you know, as I say, well, look, I've, I've researched it in depth. 
I know what risk reward is. I'm within my risk tolerances and it's my money. I'll do as I please with it. Um, so, uh, but I do appreciate all the feedback in any case. And I know people, uh, you know, have my interests at heart. So Mello, yeah, absolutely. I think it was the best one so far, actually, in Chiswick, a two-day event organised by David Streder and Georgina and Gracia. Um, you know, I'm really glad they're soldiering, soldiering on with the Mello physical events because, you know, it's so easy for everything to go online. But it's solitary, isn't it? Sitting at home on watching Zooms, you know, not really interacting with anyone other than in a chat box. Well, actually getting to meet people, you know, you cannot beat uh, meeting management, uh, looking at the, the colour of their eyes or whatever the phrase is, you know, and talking and asking the questions and you get the body language. And there were some really good, there were fewer companies at Mellow this year, but better, really good quality ones. Just a few to mention. Smith, Smith's News, SNWS, with its 10% possibly going up to 12% dividend yield. That one proved very popular. I heard good feedback from people on that. Joneo, J-N-E-O, we really like at the small cap reports. You know, the news flow keeps coming out of that. It's very good. We did a recent update on it. J-N-E-O. Still looks reasonably priced, even though the shares have four or five bagged. Sanderson Design were there. I didn't manage to catch up with Lisa Montague, unfortunately. I wish I had, but again, I heard very good feedback on that. It's a company I like a lot. And Entech, a quick mention for Andrew Law, the CEO of Entech. I think the ticker's NTQ, can't remember exactly. He's um, very affable, very personable, obviously a very intelligent chap. Um, it's doing directional dr drill head innovative um, things for oil, oil drilling. So it's high on my... I've actually got a few in my portfolio, but I want to get it in there. So I've got a foot in the door. So the RNS has come through every morning on on the shares that I hold. And I'm I'm going to monitor the news flow on that one quite closely. So put that one on your radar if you, if you, if you look for more speculative stuff. And as always, you know, we're never recommending anything. We're just talking about shares and giving our personal opinions on them. Right, on to Monday's small cap value report. This was the 27th of November. Graham and I wrote this one. Um, now, breaking news came out mid -after, early afternoon, I think, from Music Magpie, MMAG. This is the thing that has kiosks in Asda's for selling your old mobile phones, and they buy them and then they rent them out, and they don't make any money. It's a rubbish business model, as I keep telling people. We've been read on this five times. We've written about this in the last year, and I've been read on it every time because I just cannot see that this is a viable business model. I'm happy to be proved wrong. I'm just going on the facts and figures and forecasts, and they just show a business that's um, a, a borrowing, increasing its net debt to buy mobile phones that it rents out and it doesn't make a profit on anything it does. It, plus, it's got the old legacy business of selling books and DVDs and all that sort of thing online. It just isn't working. So why would you buy the shares? Um, you know, I just think this one's hopeless. Anyway, it named two bidders, one of which was B t and one was a financial bidder well both of those have backed to backed out and confirmed they're not going to bid so but the company remains up for sale so this is looking increasingly i'm afraid like uh, uh you know a desperation sale that they need to sell the company or it could fold so i think i think music magpie is looking more and more like a p potential zero but you never know somebody might come along and, and and bid for it you just don't know but to me risk reward on music magpie i think is very poor so if if you hold it and you get i hope you do well i hope you know i'm happy to eat humble pie and just say oh i got it wrong if somebody comes along and bids for it but i can only go on the numbers and the numbers say to me it's uh not looking good there now on a more positive note i looked at d4t4 solutions which is changing its name to celebrus clbs will be the new ticker this does very interesting software for uh data analysis um, quite big name clients, you know, banking clients. And I think they do um, uh, e-commerce type um, data analysis as well. Always looks very interesting. It's always profitable. D4T, Celebrus, I'll call it. Celebrus is always profitable each year. Uh, quite volatile profits. And it's got a very nice balance sheet with lots of cash. Um, 70 million market cap at £1.76 a share. I do think this looks quite good. So I've got amber green on it. I reviewed the interim results. Um, <clears throat> it sounds uh, the results are as expected, and it sounds confident in meeting the full year expectations. Now, I did raise a query though on the 
revenue recognition and the receivables. Now, receivables absolutely ballooned. And as I point out in my report, the um, the uh, basically almost all of H1 revenues must have been billed at the end of the half year and hadn't been paid. Receivables is about almost six months, almost the whole month's re whole half year's revenues hadn't been paid by the customers. So I've got to flag that up, which was completely different to the position a year earlier. So one of the readers kind of said, oh, you know, it's all red herring pool, you know, nothing to see here, blah, blah, blah. Nothing's changed. This is this is just what happens with Celebrus. You know, it has large lumpy contracts which are recurring and it, it's not monthly recurring revenue. It's big annual renewals. So nothing's changed. Well, I beg to differ. Something has changed. Um, I can accept that's the case at year end and then the money's collected in. But at the half year end, we haven't seen this before. This is a very, very different hike in receivables, a huge hike in receivables. But even despite that, the cash position is still comfortable. So I'm not saying it's necessarily a problem, but uh, it, I stand by uh, the fact that I've queried something large and unusual that has changed in the results. So I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't flag that up. But I still like the company. I think it's good and it could become a bid target. It, I think. So um, I'm still favourable on Celebrus. What next? Now, Graham, oh, this was a controversial one. Graham looked at the profit warning from Frontier Developments, FDEV, one of uh, really the whole sector's crapping out. These are games, video games developers. It's another profit warning. Um, now, he's saying the cash pile is almost a third of the market cap, and so he's marked it green, which doesn't make any sense at all to me. Graham and I very rarely differ, but um, what he's saying, he's basically saying he thinks it's overshot on the downside and it could be a rebound candidate, which isn't really what the explanatory notes say green ones are meant to be. So I, I, tweet, I tweet the explanatory notes to give Graham a sort of override on it so that if he just thinks something's massively oversold he can mark it green but i don't agree anyway i think it's you know it's um and the readers don't seem to agree either but you know graham does does go through things and explain why he's come to that conclusion he just and he says here it's a highly contrarian view um but he just thinks it's overshot on the downside which is perfectly reasonable um point of view uh, i've obviously marked it black on the spreadsheet to signify a profit warning uh, market caps down to only 63 million on frontier developments so uh, i just i'm avoiding all of these games developers i think something's fundamentally changed in that sector uh, and it seems to be that the online streaming platforms are, are not being as generous with the money that they're paying to the, to the developers. So big question mark over the whole sector, I think. But anyway, see Monday's report for more detail on that one. Now, I had a look at Epwin, E-P-W-N. This is a building products company, so you would expect it to be reporting poor performance, but it didn't. It actually put out an inline trading update and announced a new share buyback, only £2 million. But, well, that's 2% of the market cap. Um, Epwin, um, yeah, and you've also got a generous 7% dividend yield, which is twice covered by earnings. So it's doing the share buybacks on top of that. So I've, I've raised the question here, how come Epwin is just bulking the sector trends? I don't know. And uh, but it's very it looks very interesting, very good value. Um, so have a look at Epwin if you're not too worried about cyclical downtrends. But generally, I'm avoiding things sort of in the building products type of area because the whole sector's undoubtedly slowing down. So, you know, anyone who's reporting positive news in that sector is either doing something brilliant or, you know, maybe there's just a time lag before the sector downturn kicks in. Maybe they're working through their order book and it. we, we had a good discussion on this actually at Mellow in the bash. I, I presented two stock ideas in the bash on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, and, and responded to the other panellists, uh, Mark Simpson, who's excellent. He mentioned, uh, I think it was Billington, um, B-I-L-N, which in a similar vein is reporting pretty good numbers. But you do, I, I, I worry too much about the, the macro side that it could deteriorate, but we don't know. Next, going back to Monday, Graham looked at SIS Group, ticket SYS. This is a minnow, 19 million half-year report. He wasn't madly excited by that. Seems to be jumping onto the artificial intelligence bandwagon, which lots of companies are, aren't they? And finally, I looked at Concurrent Technologies, which has been very good this year, actually. We've reported a few times positively on this. 
Uh, it put out a nice trading update, but I've said here, a bit too gushing, the trading update from Concurrent Technologies. Um, and it, it focuses too much on revenue growth, but it's only in line with 2023 market expectations for profit. But it did have a big upgrade in July. And there has been some slippage of orders into 2024. Very upbeat about the growth in the pipeline. But the whole thing just seemed a bit over PR'd to me. So um, I think I'd want a more, uh, what's the word, a more measured, more calm style of communications in future from this and I'm going to I'm going to carefully look at the cash flow and balance sheet when the results come out but overall I'm still positive so amber green on concurrent technologies oh I, I forgot to read out another point on charlie munger uh, rest in peace charlie now I, one of the one of the tributes I saw on cnbc to um, charlie munger was it showed uh, Berkshire Hathaway's stunning long-term um, outperformance, of course, which becomes harder and harder to do as the funds get larger. Now, what was interesting was that they said that over its, whatever it was, 65-year history, Berkshire Hathaway achieved a compound annual um, growth rate in its portfolio each year of about 19% which resulted over 65 years in, you know, millions of percent total upside. And I thought that was a point I wanted to pluck out and reinforce. A lot of you, I'm sure, are already um, aware of this, but it's the power of compounding. I mean, every, everybody knows this, but it's no harm in reminding you. Now, I've actually, since I've been managing my own pension, SIP, since 2012, I've actually achieved, looking at my spreadsheet here, a 21% annual compound growth rate since then. And looking at looking at my spreadsheet at 21% annual growth rate, you 10 bag your portfolio every 12 years. Isn't that remarkable? So and I think it's perfectly possible, you know, with good stock picking to achieve about 20% per annum. I know quite a few um, <clears throat> very successful private investors who do achieve that or better. I think uh, one uh, chap at Mello was saying he's achieved something like 40% and compound annual growth rate. Now, you're not going to achieve 40% longer term. Nobody does, you know. Um, so that is going to be, you know, the high watermark. But if you've done that for quite a few years, as this particular investor has done, who's quite well known in the investor community, you know, that's just, it just shows what can be achieved with a lot of hard work and careful stock picking. So you can make money from small caps. I do, lots of other people do. It's all about, though, picking your spots. You know, you're not buying the whole market because we know two thirds or more of AIM is absolute junk. We all know that. But that still leaves two or three hundred really nice companies. And a lot of them are very, very good value right now. So it's stock picking. That's what it's all about. Not just buying the market generally. Right. Tuesday's report was myself and Graham. Uh, thank you for the thumbs up. We got 131 thumbs up, even though we only covered four companies. The reason... Um, why it was a little slightly fewer companies than usual was because I spent the whole morning going through the results from Plexus Holdings, which is my largest holding. Um, so I wrote up a section on that, which went into Wednesday's report, I think. So we'll come on to that massive number of companies reporting on Tuesday. So we had to do some of the ones we didn't manage to cover. There were just too many. Interim results from GB Group, was the share price dropped 5%, so I thought, well, there's no great emphasis to do that. Renew Holdings, 622 million market cap, put out its final results. Now, that was one of the 10 baggers in Ed's fantastic presentation about multi-baggers, which you can find um, on Stockopedia for subscribers. I enjoyed it so much, the online version, that I went to see Ed present it live again at Mellow, and um, we saw, he included some extra slides in that, which is just, just fascinating. You know, the anatomy of a 10-bagger, multi-bagger, and some lots of surprising findings in that, which I think, you know, give me a lot of um, <clears throat> encouragement that we are covering future 10-baggers in the small caps value reports because they start off as small and value type shares, surprisingly, the a lot of the 10-baggers. So they're buried somewhere within the small cap value reports. So there you are. I just don't know which ones they are. <laughs> now, what else did we look at? Um, didn't look at, rather. VP Group put out interim slightly below expectations. I like that one. It's cheap. Um, but I didn't get around to look at it, looking at it. Um, 
DP Eurasia, that's the Domino's Pizza thing, shot up 23%. I think, isn't the major shareholder trying to buy that out? Anyway, results were in line. Anyway, let's move on to the things we did cover. Oh, we didn't cover totally, T-L-Y. That seems to be doing really badly. That's dropped, um, it's down to about six pence now. Um, it does the NHS support contracts. I think I can't see that there's a really viable business there at the moment. So I'm not tempted to bottom fish on totally, I'm afraid. But good luck. I, I hope they turn it round. Ah, here we are. Yes, we we, we looked at Jerneo, J-N-E-O. These were the guys that were at Mellow. And they've obviously um, put themselves across well because um, the share price went up um, quite significantly after they started doing presentations at Mellow. Now, obviously... You know, we're not, well, not we, because I'm not, not the organiser. David and his team are not trying to sort of stimulate short-term um, bounces in shares. But I think it certainly shows that several of the companies that were at Mellow and where quite, quite, um, well, very good convincing bull cases were made up on stage, either by the companies or by people on the bash. Some of these um, seem to have stimulated some interest in the shares. So, well, that's quite, quite good, isn't it? Anyway, Janeo, I covered this one. It's ahead of expectations again. We've had a series of these. Now, what Janeo does, it's an acquisitive group, and it seems to have bought very well. A major acquisition has really transformed its results. It makes things related to public transport, the signs that go up and tell you where the bus or the train is and gives you all those details. So they look like project-type wins, and I think it's got some recurring revenues from the CCTV side of things. It used to be 21st century uh, uh, something or other, technologies, I think it was. And it was kind of bumped along at the bottom, never really doing much CCTV, CCTV business, uh, kind of also ran. But it it, it seems to be uh, going through a transformational patch now with, um, it seemed to be very capable management from what everybody tells me. And uh, I saw that a webinar that impressed me. So we're positive on Janeo. I flagged it as green at £2.16. I think it ended the week about £2.50 or thereabouts. So it's had a nice bounce. I think it's justified. But I have said here, providing the growth can be maintained and the orders aren't one-offs. This is the thing, isn't it? With those type of um, products, you know, it's a one it's a one time installation and they might be up there for 10 or 12 years or, or so. But you'll get a certain number who get vandalized each year. So that's my only question mark over it is um, the sustainability of the growth and the profits. But I think the outlook was good. Yeah, here we are. Positive outlook comments for 2024. So I like Janeo. I think based on the numbers we've got and the forecast we've got, it still looks pretty good value. But as I say, I don't know what the future holds. Marlowe, uh, what's this one? I've said here, uh, oh yes, this is this very highly geared, highly acquisitive software group. It's made 36 acquisitions since 2021. I'm sorry, I think that's crazy. I think it's absolutely mad. It's 405 million market cap. It's almost like management seem to be addicted to making acquisitions. Some Maybe they enjoy the process. You know, you do find this actually. Often management just like acquiring things. But the trouble is they've now left a balance sheet that's horribly hollowed out with a big gap in it that's funded by um, bank debt. And it's now doing a strategic review to focus on shareholder value. So uh, what are they going to do? Break the thing up or sell off certain bits or divest certain bits? Seems a bit bonkers to me. They've done this massive rush for acquisitions. Now they're looking to restructure the whole thing. So I just don't like it. So I'm sorry, I'm amber red on Marlowe. But you never know what's buried in these groups, you know all these software IT businesses, there might be some little gems buried in there that they could sell off at a premium valuation to the Yanks, you know, who love buying up IT businesses at high valuations. So I don't know, I could be wrong. All I'm saying is it's all a bit opaque. I don't like um, the speed and number of acquisitions that they've done. I don't like the balance sheet. So it's off my radar. So I've marked that amber red to flag up the balance sheet risk. Uh, now, Graham looked at an interesting one here that we both think is quite interesting. IG Design, the uh, Christmas paper and greetings cards and all those type of products company that got into a bit of trouble over the last few years. Anyway, we both think the interim results uh, uh, look very interesting and it, it, it does seem to be a genuine turnaround. So both Graham and I uh, view IG Design positively. 
Graham said here, the bull thesis is playing out. Much improved cash generation. Now, don't get worked up about the net debt here either, because it has fallen a lot. But actually, it was only seasonal debt in any case. If you compare the interim results and the full year results, you know, it borrows a lot to build up the inventories for, for Christmas. And then it all gets paid off. Well, banks love lending um, against that. And actually, IG Design's overall balance sheet is fine. So, um, and I think they refinance the bank borrowings. Um, so, yeah, we both think that looks quite good. So take, take a look at that one if it floats your boat. Downside scenarios are that I think it's just a really, it's quite a lot. Well, I was going to say it was low margin business, but I think they got the operating margin up to about 8%. Well, that makes it a different, much more positive proposition. So, um, actually, I don't think there is really a, a significant downside risk on this one. Um, so, yeah, much, much better than it was. So we quite like IG design now. Ah, yes, I jumped ahead of myself a bit here. This is Wednesday's report. This was written by Graham and Roland. So I was off to... Oh, that was it. This was the day that Plexus Holdings, my biggest personal position, reported. So I spent the whole morning going through... Um, those results, it's, it, we, we knew what the figures were going to be like because um, they were in line with expectations, which was another loss of about £4 million. So that's all as expected, the numbers. Um, it's all the outlook commentary that matters because it's in the process of uh, the revenue is going to grow six times, 620% in the current financial year and in June 24. So it's the, all the outlook and uh, market comments that are of interest and plexus so and it's quite a detailed commentary so i spent the whole morning reading about plexus and a significant part of the morning trying to get my bloody printer to work oh good god do you find after you've left it for a few months and not used it you come back and it takes the computer about three hours to install all the updates and to actually start working all the printer cartridges have dried up so anyway very frustrating morning and I couldn't get it to work so anyway let's not dwell on that so and then I went off to Mello at lunchtime and thoroughly enjoyed myself there and um, so Wednesday's report yeah as I said and it was really nice having a couple of days off actually I don't generally take holidays or when I do take holidays I take my laptop and do do work remotely so I enjoyed having three days off work so thanks again to Graham and um, Roland it just refreshes you doesn't it uh, they looked at Supreme, SUP. This one had um, another ahead of expectations update. Very, very good financials. We like the guy who runs Supreme. We think he's a capable entrepreneur. Scram looked at the interim results. The shares went up 13%. Um, <clears throat> continuing strong momentum in all divisions. It all boils down to whether you want to invest in a vaping company, and I don't, and I'm not persuadable on that. <laughs> and lots of people agree with me, lots of people disagree with me. So it's your call, isn't it? Your money, your call. But it look, if you ignore what it actually does and the damage that does, um, then the PE of seven looks very attractive, and the financials are extremely attractive with Supreme, but you've only got a limited pot of investors who are going to want to buy and own that share, I think. Now, Halford's put out interim results. Now, I'm sorry about this one. I, the last two or three weeks, I've been quite positive on this one. Halford's, the cycling and motoring superstores and car servicing um, operation. I thought it looked interesting as a bid candidate. But anyway, the uh, results have come out, the interim results have come out, and it's dropped 19% to £1.85. So um, there's a cut to profit guidance um, and... Um, uh, Graham, no, sorry, Roland said here that concerned about the H2 weighting implied by today's guidance. So um, how, uh, Roland's neutral on it, which you know makes a lot of sense. The only thing I would say, oh, I think the obligatory hiccups coming. Oh, I can feel it building up. Let's um, let's let's power on. I think uh, the bid talks around Halfords, which we've had twice in the last six weeks or so, I think sound quite credible. So the fact that the shares just got a whole bunch cheaper and the bid premiums disappeared, it's now £1.85, I think probably makes a bid more likely. So um, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm generally looking at Halfords. I'd probably be amber green on it, but I haven't actually read the interims, so I shouldn't really give a view until I've read the interims. Now, they looked at a couple of finance-type things, something DFCH, Distribution Finance Capital Holdings. Never heard of that. 
Roland covered that. That's great. Another one to get in the system. It's only a £32 million market cap. Oh, it dropped 30% on a profit warning. Anyway, I don't know anything about that one. I don't want to regurgitate their work. So we have a look at Wednesday's report if you want to see what, um, what Roland thought on that one. Uh, oh, this was something I wrote the night before. Here we are. Focusrite. T-U-N-E. Um, final results came out, which were in line. This is for August 2023. I think it's a nice quality business. And I think it's attractively priced. So I gave it the thumbs up with a green on a PE of 12.1. There are some, obviously, because it's come down a lot from the pandemic boom days. And there are some question marks over some parts of the business. But um, I think it's fundamentally a really good owner-managed business that makes all sorts of products related to uh, creating online content and publishing music and it's uh, it's constantly innovating look at the large r&d spend which they capitalize so you uh, need to ignore ebitda for that reason because it totally ignores those profits but i don't focus on ebitda anyway so uh, but overall i think focus right is a good business but it needs to keep innovating with the products in order to make the premium um charge premium prices for them but and we had some good reader feedback actually from people who use the products and say yeah they're the bee's knees and i've heard that before actually um, but they'll always have cheaper competition snapping at their heels uh but yeah we, we like focus right so we're staying green on that graham looked at another financial called impacts asset management i leave the the um the, the fund managers and the financials to graham because he's the expert in that field i'm not i can be coaxed into looking at them sometimes but it takes me two or three hours to go through the figures because i'm not familiar with them so it makes sense to let graham cover those so see wednesday's report if you're interested in impacts asset management finally graham looked at the profit warning from czar xar the print heads business um that uh oh you said here up two percent that doesn't look right i think you might have picked up the wrong price figures there for czar but anyway i think it dropped about 20 percent actually so it looks like there's a typo there um i won't cover that that graham's that's graham's work um on so see Wednesday's report for his take on Czar. Now I know Richard Crow, renowned investor uh, and thoroughly good guy. Richard Crow has um, been keen on this one in the past. So he puts out a weekly update on I think it's it's on Substack or one of those things. So it's in my inbox anyway. Where is it? Um, uh, uh, Cockney Rebel, his weekend Rebel review is in my inbox. So I'll have a look on that and see what he thinks about Tsar. He knows the sector very well, being a, a graphic um, designer as well as um, a renowned investor. So I'll defer to Richard's view on Tsar. Right, on to Thursday's report. This is the 30th of November, written by... Now, Roland set up the placeholder and Graham contributed. I also... This was where I... Um, yeah, Thursday, that's right. So I was at Mellow again after having a nice lion. <laughs> I'm not a morning person, as you probably gathered. Um, this was where I, I wrote... They published my section on Plexus Holdings, which I'd written before. Now, I've mentioned this a lot because I think it's very interesting. It's now within the small cap value report market cap range. When I started buying it in August, I mentioned that in the podcast, the market cap was only four or five million, and it's um, five bagged since then up to about 20p. Dipped slightly to about 19p, I think, last week. Maybe some people were expecting big new contract news. I don't know. You know, people don't fill in a form to say why they're selling, do they? Or buying. But there was there was strong buying of it as well. But you can look at the trades and you can see that somebody's obviously feeding stock in, um, you know, behind the scenes. That's why, you know, people look at all the so-called buys and so-called sells and say, well, why is the price not going up? Because it's all buys. It's because every transaction is both a buy and a sell. It's just that retail buying could well be offset by somebody working a sell order in the background that's not printed until much later, you see. Or it seems to me sometimes they're never printed. But, um, you know, it's the price that's telling you what's going on. If it's going up, usually, you know, it can be manipulated. But if prices are, uh, are steady when lots of retail buyers are going through, it's because the market makers have either got a stock of shares to sell or somebody's a big seller's feeding the stock in. And it doesn't matter. It all comes out in the wash over the long run. Um, 
Anyway, Plexus, I think it's very interesting. As you know, that's why it's still my biggest holding. I've carried on buying up to 20.4 pence, um, which is slightly above the current price. I'm just in it for the long term. Because to me, it's a, it's a, if you read the full result statement, it's a business that's coming alive again. This is not some aim junk speculative nonsense. This is a, a very successful growth company that got to a market cap of about 300 million in 2015. It's still 59% owned by the founder and the chairman. Um, who set the, the the CEO set the company up in 1987. He's totally passionate about what they're doing and the technology is all proven. Um, it's just that demand dried up when the oil price crashed and drilling activity, particularly in the North Sea, which was its core market, dried up in 2015. All verifiable from what other oil services companies have, have said. But the point is, demand's coming back now. And the methane leaks, which are plaguing the whole industry, uh, is a big, big driver of demand for Plexus's services. And I think the IP at Plexus is worth multiples of the current share price, uh, 20 million market cap, as evidenced by the fact that they got banked about 20 or 30 million in a fire sale of some of their technology to Technip a few years ago to keep the company afloat. Well, they've adapted and refined their existing IP and they've re-entered um, the markets that they exited because demand's coming back and it's already online to make a profit in the current year um, for the first time in about seven years. So this business is coming alive again and it's all in the RNSs. I'm not saying anything that, you know, I'm not trying to pump the share. I think maybe 20 million's about right for the time being, but I think it's set up now for really good news flow, particularly over the Schlumberger deal, which is set to um, launch a whole range of products um, and just pay royalties to, to to Plexus. So if that royalty stream becomes significant, you know, you could you could you could be. It's already ten bags from the low last autumn, but the starting point was wrong. Uh, loads of people at Mellow said to me, "Look, you've made ten times your money. Why don't you just bank it?" Well, I haven't made ten times my money. I've doubled my money because my average buy price is about ten b. I four or five bagged from the initial purchases in August, but uh, you know, I just think the starting price was ludicrous. It was off the radar, you see, at 2 million, 3 million market cap. It's just off everyone's radar. Hardly anyone looks at things at that, that level. And very occasionally, you can find a little nugget of gold. And I think I've, I'm pretty confident I have done with Plexus. And the main risks, I spent ages debating this with people at, at Mellow, one-on-one -on -one and, you know, um, in groups. And the way I look at it, what are the two big risks? Insolvency. Well, I think, number one, with Plexus, I just don't see that happening. You know, it's been on its knees financially now for seven or eight years and management have kept it going, even including the CEO putting in 3.2 million of his own money. So he's obviously well healed. It's his life's work. If you talk to him, he's not going to let this go bust. No way. And if they were going to take it private, they would have done so when they could have taken it, taken out the minorities for 800 grand. Well, he's put in four times that amount to keep the public company afloat. And again, if you talk to them, they're not going to delist because the listing is so valuable to the company. When you're dealing with oil majors, being a long-standing stock market listed company means they're head and shoulders above anyone trying to do a similar thing, of which there's hardly anybody because Plexus has got this patented um, Posgrip technology. Um, and they're filing a new family of patents to give it another 20 years protection. Um, they can charge high margins. If you look at the uh, if you look at the uh, the big contract win, which is what stimulated me to buy in, was a five million rental one year rental contract, five million quid, and then that was that was announced in March twenty three, and then it was upped, I think, in June twenty three to eight million, and the latest figures say the scope for that contract to be further enlarged. So you know, a twenty million pound contract from a sorry, a twenty million pound market cap company that can win one contract that transforms them from losses into profits, well, it could go either way, couldn't it? That could be a complete one-off, or it could be the start of something big. My view is the downside risk is that it, if it is a one-off, the company maybe makes a profit for one year and then goes back into losses. What's the end game there? They just sell the company. They sell the IP probably for more than the company's valued at now. Um, What's the upside? You've got a major multi-bagger. It's already 10-bag, but that was from a ludicrously low starting point. 
Um, it's not expensive when you look at what the IT is potentially worth to one of the majors. If the obvious buyer is Schlumberger, isn't it? There seems a very close relationship between Plexus and Schlumberger. But look, I don't want to, to tempt fate. I just think risk reward on it is unusually good for a highly speculative share. But when you dig in the de into the detail, it's not as speculative as you might think. Uh, on a superficial view. Also, dilution. Well, given that it's now back in profit and generating cash, there isn't such a pressing need to raise equity. Um, and the equity, any they, they've, they announced a year ago they would be doing another placing within the next two years. So it all hinges, and that hinges on the convertible loan notes, but it's all in the RNS from, I think, October 2022. So if you're worried about dilution, have a read of that. I've, I've crunched the numbers, and I, I think potential dilution could be about 15%. No great shakes, really. And the company's already committed to doing uh, an open offer to allow small shareholders to um, top up our positions. And you can just buy more in the market anyway, can't you, if you want to? There's actually surprisingly good liquidity in this, considering the um, the free float's only about £8 million. So anyway, that's an update on Plexus. I think, you know, let's see what happens. I'm only flagging it up as something where I think... We're likely, we could see very, very good news flow over the next year. Um, but if we don't hear anything for three, four, five months, then it probably means everything's going flat. So I don't know which way it'll go. But as I say, I think the downside is protected because the IP has got to be worth considerably more than 20 million quid anyway. And I don't think there's any risk of it going bust. But I could be wrong. So we'll see. Not for widows and orphans. Do be careful. Don't risk any money you can't afford to lose on it. And you've got to do your own research on Plexus because it's, it's pretty involved, and obviously just looking at the, the, the historic numbers tells you absolutely nothing. It's all about the, the demand coming back, driven by legislation, which is starting to force the oil companies to tackle these horrendous methane leaks, which uh, I hope they're talking about this at COP28, um, instead of just swanning around on, on buggies smiling at people, you know, because it turns out the methane leaks are, are, are an absolute scandal, and it's a relatively quick way to fix, um, to, to make a dramatic benefit to the environment because unburnt methane is a seriously bad greenhouse gas, something like 25 times worse than CO2. So all these factors, I think, are, are pointing towards um, Plexus uh, coming alive again. And that seems to be what happened, what's happening. And I have no idea what the share price is going to do. So don't ask me to predict that. But I'm still a buyer. I bought a few more after the results came out. But that could have been psychologically me kind of wanting to feel good or feel positive about it by buying some more. So I don't think that really means anything. Um, but I'm very happy to sit with an outsized position in this. And I accept the risk. I think the risk is, is manageable. I could be wrong. We'll We'll just have to wait and see. I always go off on a ramble when I start talking about Plexus, don't I? But I just think it's so interesting. And you can verify all of this by Googling all the... Find, find lots of interesting articles about methane leaks and the damage to the environment. It's, you know, but you never hear any of the any of this coming from the eco-warriors, uh, do you, who are causing traffic jams and everything? Why don't they just, you know, they all think we should stop drilling for oil. But then you just import LNG on a far worse... Um, overall um you, you know uh, effect on the environment than using our own homegrown stuff so i know some people dispute that but i think we're wrong it stands to reason isn't it you use your own infrastructure the the the, the drilling and the extraction of, of gas in the north sea is very clean relative to how it's done in some other countries apparently and you've got the, the factor of moving it halfway around the world in a ship that's spewing out pollution so I think it's pretty obvious that it makes sense to use our homegrown gas as a transitional fuel while we gradually switch over to renewables, which is happening quite fast in the UK. Just look at all the, you know, just go to the anywhere on the North Sea coast and look on the horizon. You just see wind farms everywhere. Well, Graham, sorry, Thursday, back to other companies. Thursday, 30th of November, Graham looked at Mulberry, the handbags thing, which he seems to quite like. Interim results. So he's saying they're poor results. I think that's the one where you've got two massive shareholders and a tiny free float, isn't it? I think. So check the shareholding structure on Mulberry. Again, I don't want to speak for Graham. He's his own man. So look at Thursday's report on that one. Uh, here's an interesting one. Graham also looked at Me International, M-E-G-P. Used to be Photo Me. Now, the shares have come down a lot, haven't they? They've come down. They peaked at about £1.75-ish. They're down to about one twenty nine now. We talked about this one on, on the bash, actually, at Mellow. And 
I gave a positive view on it as well, with the caveat that I haven't read the latest statement. So year in trading update that Graham looked at. Uh, what's he saying? Oh, slightly below the bottom end of the range of expectations. Well, that's not a disaster, is it? I like this one. They're just an absolute expert in in the booths business, um, photo booths, these these giant laundry things as well are now very profitable, you know, and they do machines for uh, all sorts of things. You can buy pizza and literally freshly squeezed oranges, you know, where the machine will show you it squeezing the oranges. Um, they're trying out lots of different things um, and seeing what works. Uh, incredibly experienced um, owner manager in charge of it who's getting on a bit so there's going to be probably some sort of sale of the business at some point you would imagine um, I must come back to that and have a proper look at it so thanks for covering that Graham what did Roland look at Winstay that's the agricultural products thing isn't it uh, oh that dropped 15% um, earnings lower than expected so mild profit warning by the looks of it uh, so have a look at Thursday's report for Graham uh, for Roland's view on Wednesday. Um, <clears throat> oh, here we are. This shot up, didn't it? I saw this on the top rises. Ashted Technology Holdings. What an interesting company. AT full stop. Now, I'm sorry about this one. I was just behind the curve on it. I didn't really look at it until it had already done um, a very strong rise. It's rent offshore equipment rental <coughs> in Scotland, doing very well in the resurgence in North Sea activity. Uh, for new wells and plug and abandon, abandonment, the same stuff that's starting to benefit Plexus. Uh, and uh, yeah, Roland said here he's been impressed with this business. Um, it's oh, it announced a big acquisition as well as a trading update. I think trading update was ahead. Have a look at that one. I'm, I'm not really up to speed on Ashted Technologies, but certainly hats off to the company and people who spotted the opportunity. I'm sorry we missed that one. I think we've covered it a few times saying, oh, this looks good, but it's very expensive. Well, <laughs> this is the trouble, isn't it? Often, often the big rises are the things that are expensive because people are buying them because they're exceptionally good. So that's where sometimes maybe I need to learn a bit from that and temper my... Um, my value share, value investor anchorings, break the chains with them and sometimes chase things up if they are exceptional companies. And certainly it seems to me Ashtad Tech has proved itself, hasn't it? And a, and a very good, relatively recent float, one of very few. Oh, here we had Roland looked at the profit warning from the Airwear Boots, Dr. Martins, DOCS, which was floated at a ludicrous valuation by private equity. Uh, <clears throat> lost low, it's lost uh, the, the majority, the bulk of its float valuation. It's still not cheap. I, he's forgotten to put in the market cap here, but um, uh, interim results came out. I did have a read of those on my, or tried to on my phone whilst on a bumpy train from Canterbury to Gunnersbury. Uh, quite funny, isn't it? Guns and cannons. That's where I get from my base in London to Mellow. And um, I still couldn't really see value in it, so it seems to me they've messed up the basics of running the business, which a lot of these things do when they're owned by private equity, who just squeeze the cash out of them and, and mess up the, the core business, I think, very often. But they think they're financial gurus, don't they? And they're really not. So um, I'm not particularly tempted to look into doc, Dr. Martins, I must say. Right, on to Friday's report. This is the Friday the 1st of December. I was luxuriating by having a lion for most of the morning. So thank you again to Roland and Graham for, for covering. They've covered five stocks. Look, they had a, It looks like they had an eat into the backlog because we had loads of news this week. Um, we obviously can't cover everything, but we pick out the ones that are above or below expectations in particular. And anything else we think um, looks good value um, and reasonable uh, price. Um, so what have we got here? Mercia Asim Asset Management, MERC, that's one of Graham's financial ones, so I don't have any views on that, so look at Friday's report for that. Uh, this is quite interesting. Graham looked at DP Eurasia, interim results. Yeah, we mentioned that a moment ago, didn't we? Corporate drama, he said here, as the majority shareholder wants to buy it for 85p a share. Uh, but the board is extremely disappointed, quotes. Uh, by this offer. So that looks interesting with an opportunistic bid there. Interesting to see if that um, succeeds or fails. So the first port of call would obviously be the little pie chart on Stockopedia showing who owns what in terms of the disclosable stakes. Mind Jim, they, uh, Roland had a look at. I don't think we've really seen much 
to excite on that one. Roland looked at auction technology as well, which dropped 23% on Thursday, profit warning presumably there. So he's cast his, his, his eye over that. And then uh, Roland also did a quick comment on James Halstead, the uh, nice aim-listed family-run floor coverings business. Um, anyway, you have to look at Friday's reports on those because, again, I don't really have a view on any of them and I don't want to speak for, for Roland or Graham. Right, I think that covers everything. Back to uh, I'm back to work on Monday, as always, and I've got to get my spreadsheet updated this weekend as well because there's a few gaps in that. So leave that with me. Uh, what is it today? Saturday. Oh, that's good. So I can potter around and look at the Christmas lights and things today. And... Um, yeah, so uh, that's it. Wraps up uh, this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I know I'm really delighted that people seem to have taken to this format. Um, I get very nice feedback from from everyone on these podcasts, so I don't I don't you know monetize them in any way. But I just think it's a nice service, and you know if it helps pull in a few extra subscribers to Stockopedia, then great. All the more the merrier. And thank you to everyone who supports us, not just financially, but you know with encouraging words which in a, a two year plus now of a grinding bear market in small caps i'm thrilled that we've still got as much interest as there is in what we're doing and remember you're going to clean up i think from these levels with if you pick the right you know good quality decent quality businesses because you see the big difference with this bear market is that interest rates have come up so much that people can now say well i'm not sure about that Let's sit in cash and you can get 5% on your cash. Why wouldn't you do that? You know, when you can see the share prices grinding down, I totally get why some people are, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines, you know, a hell of a lot. And when all that money comes thundering back into the market, I think you'll see massive upside from decent quality companies uh, at very attractive valuations now. But I don't know when that's going to happen. And I don't know if we've passed the low. So, you know, we could have to take more pain. There's a lot of geopolitical uncertainty, isn't there? But I take the view, if you're not using gearing, which I don't anymore, I just buy shares outright, and then you can sleep at night. You know, it, so what if it drops another 10 or 20%? You could, Nobody can time the exact low, and particularly with these illiquid shares, you can't always buy the quantity you want when a rebound happens. And if you miss the initial rebound, you've missed a 30% gain on some of these things. So I think it's a time to be bold and brave, providing you know what you're doing and providing that you know, meets your risk tolerance, obviously, you know, everyone's going to work this out for yourselves and do your own research and, you know, take professional advice if you need to. So we're not giving advice. We're just, uh, I'm just telling you what my personal views are. And obviously I'm quite an excitable guy. You know, I probably get optimistic too early. I'm usually too early with, uh, uh, in bear markets. Um, so bear that in mind, but, uh, yeah. Okay. I'm rambling. So I'll stop. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye. No, that was a bit too. That was a, bye. That's it. That's better. Calm down, Paul.